Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. We continue our series on realizations that come as a result of ensoulment practice. Today's realization, that your will won't take you where you need to go. We discuss the difference between your true needs versus what you think you want, the removal of wound-based will in each of the three hoods, the key difference between playing victim and the true innocent victim in us, the will-based root cause of the 2008 financial crisis, and if that wasn't enough, one way in which Adolf Hitler is more likable than Donald Trump. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome, everybody. This is an exciting day. This is, I'm quite sure, episode <laughs> 70. Okay, wow. Yeah, that's something. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a silver or gold. It's not one of those things. It, it might be associated with some semi-precious metal in our world. I don't know. There's probably a, a substance that correlates to the 70th anniversary in a marriage. Uh, yeah. But that would be a stretch, 70 years. I've seen 50-year couples, but never 70-year couples. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, because I know that, yeah, there's things you're supposed to exchange things at certain ages. I, I think at 70 years, probably cyanide pills might be <laughs> at that point. You're 90-something. Yeah, you have, have to be 12 or 13 when you got married, basically, uh, for that. Mostly. That's how so, Romeo and Juliet were. Yeah, uh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So, and I guess Shakespeare was a pedophile. I don't know. <laughs> well, they started him younger then. Yes, I think. they did. That's right. So um, we're going to be talking about the will today. And that's not the first time we've talked about will. Um, but uh, we're, we're going to be doing something different as well. So before we get to that, uh, I wanted to share that the podcast has been gaining greater popularity. And I want to thank all of our listeners for being a part of this. We now have enough listeners that we can take on sponsors to help out with our production costs. So I hope our listeners will understand the need for this and won't think that we're um, selling out by taking on advertisers. But now uh, this is a word from our sponsor. Depression is a serious issue. Over 700,000 people die by suicide each year worldwide. That's why we have the suicide hotline, and that's an important part of our world. But there's an even greater threat facing our world today, and that is playing victim. Do you feel like something bad is, quote, happening to you for no reason whatsoever? Are you convinced you're a good person, but life is somehow out to get you? Are you convinced someone, are you or someone you know blaming others for your own poor choices? We understand you feel like something bad is happening to you and you have no contribution to it, and we're here to help. If you call 512-666-7475 right now, you can speak with a trained professional victimhood mitigator. Your call is free for the first five minutes and then $299 per minute to support you to stop playing victim as quickly as possible. Again, that's 512-666-7475. You can call right now. It could be the first choice that you don't play victim to. Oh my God. Joseph, you just put an entirely new definition on irony. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, I hope you listeners uh, get the 
get the tragic um, yeah. joke here. So <laughs> oh, there was an God. unintentional sort of consequence. Oh. This, And by the way, please do call that number. There's a two and a half minute <laughs> message waiting for you there. And uh, I, I got to watch on a Zoom, uh, uh, Stace's wife, Bree, uh, wanted my help with some technological stuff. So I was chatting with her a couple hours ago and I unveiled the victimhood hotline to her and got to watch her face as I heard her, um, as I watched, watched her face as, I, as she listened to it. And she was vacillating between wincing and laughing. Mm -hmm. And, um, and I told, I promised her that we would talk about the very real concern that she had that you mm -hmm. overheard some of at that time. Yeah. And what she brought up, it was, first of all, it was beautiful to feel the, what the range of her reactions, you know, like it wasn't, it was not two dimensional. It was complex. And she had her hand in her face sometimes, and sometimes she was really hurting and sometimes she was laughing. And it was similar to you in your yeah. reaction, because that was the first time you've heard that bit. Yeah. But what she brought up was that people have a really difficult time differentiating and finding the true victim from our childhood that mm. needs differentiation and all of our support in a very serious way. Yes. And that's when that part of us doesn't get the attention it needs, then Green plays victim in ways mm. that are laughable, painful, troubling, you know, all those things. But it's not. Uh, not at the emotive level that the, the true innocent victim in us is. Yes. So there's a tricky <laughs> thing in here because there's a lot, especially in the self-empowerment paradigms, we know we're not it supposed does. to play victim. Right. But if we're too casual about dismissing victimhood, then we won't be necessarily curious to find the true victim at the bottom of that. Yes. Yes. Well, wonderfully said. Uh, listening to a lot of the um, spiritual teachings out there, especially in Europe, there's a couple of them that that uh, uh, say uh, on both sides, um, we never anything we do, any impact we have on other people is not our business yeah. at all. And other ones that go the other direction that um, that everything their impact on everyone, they play victim to uh, don't hurt my feelings, for example. Yeah, uh, right. Yeah. So these kinds of things, identity, we see both ends of that as incomplete. And yeah. um, for exactly the reasons Joseph said, and uh, what I said 35 years ago, there's only one real true victim, and that's a child. Children, right. adults are not. But it gets really messy exactly <laughs> in the way that you just tragically and hilariously uh, 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 articulated. Because if we're not careful uh, and we and we mock uh, the obviousness of adults playing victimhood, which is just like you said, troubling and horrible in some ways, we'll miss uh, differentiating into the true victim, which is uh, the child in us—not inner child work, but uh, a young version of control, for example—that is the, uh, the the true victim. Only child, only children are victims, not adults. Yeah. So um, I guess this is uh, what we so, so often say, like sometimes you laugh rather than crying and, and there's always yes. a fork in a the road there. So when an adult plays victim yes. in an yeah. obvious way, you, there's a fork there and you can laugh and go, oh, man, how outrageous. And you, you yeah. could also go down the compassion route and say, wow, like there's a yeah. real wound underneath there. Um, that's distorting reality, um, you know, yes. with the gravity of the situation figuratively and literally. 
Oh, nicely put. Yeah, that, that's the danger of, um, of uh, being too troubled by the adult positions of victimhood because there actually is a real one yeah. on, the, on the bottom. Yeah, uh, yeah. And that's what's what's hard to get get the point across to. So, yeah, a beautiful. It's so, nicely done. Yeah. So well, thanks. And it's somehow it's not as funny suddenly as it was. But there's there's another layer to this. When Brie had her reaction to it and we were talking about this very topic, the, the real victim and the importance of not dismissing it. As she was saying that, and after we hung up, I realized like, oh, right, um, my protection mechanism has a trigger for victimhood. And oh. that's partly where this came from. Oh, <laughs> God, yes, of course. So nice feel. Oh, and yeah. and there's a way in which there's a true victimhood to that because my real inner victim was a real victim to my mother's victimhood. Yes. Because I carried her victimhood as a kid, and that's why victimhood, playing victim, we could say, is a trigger for me because it it brings out all these responsibility issues in me of like, oh, crap, you're playing victim. This is going to be my green talking. Crap, yes. you're playing victim. Now I've got to take responsibility for you, and I can barely handle being alive myself. And yeah. so, uh, and that's how art works, right? You know, I just was inspired yes. to do this, and then... People yes. can make of it what they make of, and I learned something about myself, and there you go. Yeah, beautifully said, and we had identical, uh, what we call mit gifts here in identity from our mothers, Joseph and I. I carried her victim of the world stuff, and uh, yeah. also, so I had a similar trigger to men and women, uh, even romantic partners playing victim to, you know, to something in me and that I had trouble owning my side of it because I was so triggered by their playing victim to mine. Mm -hmm. uh, so it becomes a really difficult loop to um, unhook from. And yeah. uh, that, that you came up uh, with this as a piece of art. Um, what would we call it now? Edentertainment? Edentertainment, uh, yes. That's the new <laughs> name. Edentertainment? Yeah. I don't know. I'm still fooling around I, with it. I think... I funny funny uh, in a funny way. Just the other day, Monday, uh, I, I was thinking, what would we call your old form of entertainment? Yeah, and I and I think I like I tried it both ways, and I think it doesn't matter. It's your thing to call what you want, but denter uh, with an extra t. her yeah. because entertainment, entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. It needs that ter. I think. Yeah, 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 I agree. Okay, thanks. Yeah, so. but you just yeah. saved me from making a decision. Because okay. everyone is hard these days. <laughs> Decision making is okay. I'll take every gimme I can get. So yes, okay. there's a relaunch of uh, Eat Entertainment 2.0. We're gonna have more sponsors on the show. <laughs> I, it wasn't as funny when I think I was feeling the issue I have with victimhood somehow. It was funnier when I created it. But uh, yeah, call that number again. That's 512-666-7475. And uh, you can leave a message there. Uh, we may, may play them on air if they're funny enough. Um, oh, so what a wonderful thing. So the, the real thing that they'll, they'll hear a message about and they can play in the play, the playfulness. Oh, yeah. There's a two and a half minute spot. Yeah, it's you're on hold for two and a half minutes and you may or may not get you through to, through to someone. You'll have to try out and see. But oh, uh, yeah, what we'll a, have more sponsors. Yeah, sure, because that's you know what podcasts do. Yes, that's what podcasts do. Only we're we're turn, we're twisting in a little bit of a wry way there. Yeah, and I hope to at one point you know the way radio and podcast people do it, like they'll just like seamlessly slide into the spot 
like yeah. and mm-hmm. so i hope to be able to generate that because that's a skill you know that's a good radio just like you know, talking sure. about dirty things let's talk about what you can use to clean up your household dirt <laughs> and you know because they because if it's this real separate commercial people might turn it off so they want the you know the host yeah. to say it i think those are hilarious the way they try I to make it, it natural and back in the day when they have in live tv they did that too and you'd have like yes. walter cronkite smoking right. a yes. cigarette yes and exactly. they would just like pan off to the right and somebody yes. would be there with the product exactly so what, yes. what i think we can make a make a a link here to our theme for today about mm-hmm. willfulness and yeah. because um there's a there's a a uh, direct semi-indirect link between willfulness will will based willful based manifestation and victimhood because uh, the solution to victimhood in some ways has been taught to us as a as a solution that is involved willful manifestation or transcendence um, in other words transcend the negative emotions that make you feel like a, a a victim don't feel it at all in other words or over overcome it with uh, your will uh, to um, uh, fight the feeling of it uh, but the people who drown in the feeling of it as an adults, just as you said, um, become a tragic comedy in some way that uh, is really hard to bear without having dub- trip, double and triple emotional flows in you at the same time. Mm-hmm. So, and, you know, it, interestingly, really, people in, um, with a lot of power and resources can play victim. It just occurred to me how Donald Trump is constantly playing victim like. Yeah, he's a, yeah. got a lot of resources under his control, and he still manages to think that the world is out to get him. Like yeah, he appears to actually think that. Well, he, yeah, and who knows how much of that it feels like it's himself, and how much is he lost in his own self-image, where he abstracts that to I'm I might go to jail for you. <laughs> All disenfranchised people that the elites have forgotten. You see, it's uh, I don't know where somewhere in that zone is literally um, a mental illness somewhere in there. Well, and I guarantee they I guarantee you they focus group that one because I'll go to jail for you is it harkens to Christianity, right? I'll die for your sins. This is a direct thing. Uh, he plays the redeemer card uh, literally because a lot of QAnon people believe he is Jesus to save them from the the Pharisaic world of manipulation and ch- and child molestation and cannibalization of infants. Um, I mean, this is crazy, crazy stuff. Uh, wow. So. I mean, and it's not unlike Hitler's um, a draw to the disenfranchised German zeitgeist that was so humiliated by World War One. Yeah, yeah, you know, he just took advantage of that. The same sort of he he found a victim uh, uh, mentality in the German zeitgeist of about how 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 they lost World War One and, and and rode that into power to reestablish the dominance of. Uh, the German uh, elite elitism. So he 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 made into his own elitism, and yeah. where and that's exactly what Trump is doing, uh, an elite form of the downtrodden. You know, yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy making. Well, what's some- weird though is like you know Trump is obviously not downtrodden. Um, he's <laughs> no, he's got a fair no. amount of debt, but he he's doing pretty yeah. well. I think his debt to equity ratio is like three to one, which is way yeah. better than any bank. Um, But the thing Mm -hmm. about Hitler that's an interesting, it's an interesting rabbit hole. I find Hitler totally fascinating is, is for Hitler. I think that was authentic. 
he yeah. he really felt um, yes. downtrodden, mm-hmm. and he felt that victimhood, and his life yeah. was a mess um, yeah. until his uh, late twenties, I think. Um, yeah, yeah. And say, I mean, he was homeless for a few years as a uh, in his early twenties. I'm pretty sure. So he he tapped into it in himself, and just, just that that zeitgeist was in him, you know. Um, yeah, that, it was more authentic. Yeah. Trump is playing a role consciously. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and th- and that's a darkness that is just re- really astounding to see in the light of day. That darkness, uh, it's 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 prefab prefabricated well, whereas hitler's came from his bones yeah and there's the difference between adolf hitler as uh, an, an, an angel soul which some yes. people may be surprised to hear um, yes but yeah we mm-hmm. think he's an angel soul and donald trump is a clear as day geffian which yeah. brings us back to willfulness <laughs> yes it does <laughs> uh, but, but i'd like to just make sure here because things can be distorted in hearing sometimes mm-hmm. When Joseph says he's fascinated by Hitler, and I mentioned that Hitler was compared to Trump as more authentic, we are not extolling Hitler here. Yes. We are not. We just have to say that we're coming at it in a much more nuanced way. The difference between an authentic totalitarian and a prefabricated uh, totalitarian. Yeah. In the old days, the totalitarian, yes. um, oppressive, fascist. abusive fascists were authentically so. Yes. Right. Now they now they wear that role as an image. I'm not sure which is better, but I'd go with uh, uh, the authentic. Authenticity is always better. At least he actually Hitler actually believed what he was doing. He did. And if we go down another partial rabbit hole here, that's why it, his dis- the destructiveness was so deep and horrifying. Yeah. When you're when you're a prefab watching myself in the mirror be yeah. a savior of the downtrodden. That doesn't. It's so out of reality. It can't have the same kind of deleterious depth as Hitler's presence did on the world. It will have a a, 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 a depth of a horribleness, but it'll be confined to his cult members. Yeah. Uh, and if the cult members want to start a civil war in the United States over it, okay, that's still contained in one way. Uh, much much less t- uh, likely to turn into a conflagration of the entire globe like uh, yeah. World War II was. Yeah. So that's the other well, only good thing here is that when you're when you're when you're in reality as Hitler was, the downside goes much deeper and horrifying. Yeah. Whereas in Trump's case, it's just stays on the surface because it's one or two steps away from actual reality. It's prefabricated. I, yeah, I guess that's some good news there in one way because some if things way, get really yeah. difficult for Trump, he'll just give up whereas, you know, Hitler literally went to his grave fighting for what he thought was true. Exactly right. It's a, it's it's all a, a game uh, uh, for Trump, and yeah. so at some point the game uh, has too many losing moments to continue. We'll see how that turns out. But the the wonderful thing here is about this topic today. Again, let's reiterate in a meta frame that um, we uh, we in identity see and 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 um, look at willfulness from a meta place that the world doesn't, and that is that. We are love first, emotive first beings of consciousness, the primary aspect of consciousness, not willful. And when we encounter, when, when we who hold one step more meta than willfulness as the primary uh, um, uh, uh, essence of consciousness and its action, its expression anyway, um, we, we can see things about willfulness that a willfulness-based worldview uh, just can't see. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes it so hard sometimes to talk to people about it, uh, because uh, 
uh, it's a will first world. It shouldn't be from our point of view, but it is. And that's why bringing this new paradigm, accepting a, an emotive first paradigm is such a watershed. Uh, it's either completely insane or uh, in my way of saying, you can't be a little bit pregnant. Um, <laughs> it, uh, what if it's true? What, what if it's true? I'm rem- I was reminded just before the podcast started uh, of, uh, we had been talking about um, uh, uh, the matrix quite a mm-hmm. bit in the last couple. And I remembered Cypher saying to Neo, uh, as Neo was wrestling with being the one, you know, and mm-hmm. said, said something like, you know, the dialogue probably better than I do. God, what do you do with that? Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. What do you do with that? And a, a good way to start the meta frame here for today in a self-reveal is that um, willfulness was absolutely necessary to get identity uh, first out into the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's not what that we're saying willfulness is bad. It uh, was necessary as the metaphor we often use uh, that I, I describe uh, the hard the hard ground of a will first first world needed a shovel to jam in it pretty hard to get it just planted just just to open this the the, the soil of consciousness of the world to get the seed for identity planted and that i needed a ton of will with and but that that had a shelf life mm-hmm. <laughs> that willfulness had a shelf life and it, uh, that willfulness started to crack after 2012 when the yin, yin being um, started ages over planet Earth uh, and not no longer the yang-based, will, will survival-based. So in that sense, um, uh, your will, what do you have it here? Uh, yeah, your, that your will won't take you where you need to go, mm-hmm. only where you want to go. Yeah, by definition. Right? <laughs> by definition. And then, then it becomes a, a parsing of what's the, how, how, do, you, how do you know what, how, what, by what metric do you analyze your want that turns it into a need or not? See? Yeah, well, I mean, you're already in a spiritual paradigm then. Just, yes, uh, exactly. You know, exactly. That, and that's something I think about all the time working with people. Like there, I see this Venn diagram of there's what they want and there's what they need. And mm-hmm. if I only give them what they need, then they're going to bounce off really fast and yes. uh, not listen mm-hmm. to anything I say. But if I only mm-hmm. give them what they want, then they're not going to change very much, if at all. Joseph, you articulate <laughs> my 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 lifelong management of insanity trying oh, yeah. to get this message out, because what the world wants is so different than what identity would offer it needs yeah. that if you if you aim too much at either pole you, you, you're, you, you it's a sabotage you have to find some really messy chaotic middle where you offer yeah. the need and try to link it to their want which requires another analysis yeah and in the middle like you said the, that overlap is chaos it's like it's, in it's because every, it changes every moment in this moment can i give them what they need or in this moment do they absolutely have to have what they want so that in the next moment i can offer yeah. something that they need uh it, and yeah it changes can change 20 times a minute and yeah and that's insane that, what what joseph just described is the is the real estate that a, that an identity facilitator in personhood has to walk every moment it's every moment so it's so hard and the better we, i get at it the harder it becomes yes, because, because you I get, get more yeah more information yeah. More, more options yeah and this is why we gave up I, I originally started a school 
literally an educational nonprofit to teach facilitation to people. And it was a noble, noble uh, ideal. But <laughs> you cannot teach this. And Bree has come out with some beautiful uh, words around why you can't teach it. And mm -hmm. we're talking about one of the main dimensions of it, why yeah. you can't teach it. You, the only people who can facilitate in, in, in that, those three zones mm -hmm. in a moment-to-moment -moment clarity with heartfulness and strength are those who have gone through the process and feel led to um, spearhead uh, their own uh, version of identity in the world uh, out there. So we don't, like Joseph is a facilitator and we, he's not trained in the current model and there's several, five or six people out there now starting to work with people in identities ages, at six or seven, but we don't train them anymore because we just trust that whatever their version is, they'll have their own audience resonance with a certain mm -hmm. consciousness uh, demographic where everyone will be helped in, in good ways. Um, yeah, we've, and related to that, we, there's a, a, a group of people we call the committee who get together every once in a while, people who work with people in, in mm -hmm. uh, identity-like ways. And we haven't really got, it's relatively recent. And we, one of the things we would, we imagined is talking about what to do with people and every, we haven't actually gone there yet, but there's been other things coming up, but it's almost like even a conversation amongst a half a dozen people about what to do with someone is impossible because you can't know until that person is right there in that moment on yes. that day with yes. whatever's going on. It's a, it's, it's, it's so customized. It's yes. like with a 50 foot tall C Yes. You can't uh -huh. talk about it in the abstract at all, except for very vague generalities. Like in general, it's good to start by trying to find the true victim. Okay, yeah. great. I know that. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that in mean? How do you do it? When you're in a river where there's two rivers uh, uh, flowing together, the facilitator and the facilitant, uh, you got two rivers going and creating turbulence, positive turbulence or negative turbulence. And, and you have to live in that turbulence of the two rivers meeting. Yeah. So. The, 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 the world uh, that wants to put grid works, dualistic grid works around, um, around uh, 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 psych psychological um, rules and regulations, uh, wow, it's really hard to do that. We can't do it because it's so spiritually moment to moment in the now. Yeah. And so uh, you might have, uh, there might be, say, there's six or seven of us, like you say, and uh, there might be three or four of those six or seven that all are equally good, uh, 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 constructive, and there might be two or three that are actually not constructive, but that's for the facilitator to learn yeah. by dead ending. Right. <laughs> Maybe they need to do exactly the wrong thing because in a meta way, that's the right thing. And both the facilitator and the facilitant have something to learn from that. And yeah. And so I was also thinking about how, um, for sure, this is the case for you. And it is for me, like both of us, we have these uh, enormous meta minds with tons of knowledge and techniques and methodologies and experiences. And the, there's so much I can say from my own experience that, um, it, it is sometimes difficult to, I don't know what the word is set aside. Maybe it's sort of like dwell in the me that doesn't know any of that first. Because the the if I come if any of that model mind will energy 
map metaphysics stuff is between me and the person I'm talking to, I'm right. not actually relating with them. And technically, technically, yeah. and what mm -hmm. to do in the next moment has <laughs> to first come out of love. That's mm -hmm. the relating between, you know, mm -hmm. the facilitant and the facilitator. Um, and then secondarily, all that stuff can then come to bear. But the, yeah. the crazy making thing for me is like the better I get and the more experience I get, the more tools and words and mind stuff there is. And then there's like the more I have to set aside. <laughs> yes. Well, the, beautifully said, Joseph. Um, I, but I'd like to uh, come in from another angle here. Um, this is where non-dual enlightenment really helps. <laughs> yeah, it does. Because yeah. non-dual enlightenment starts with no preconceived notions. Yeah. It, it starts with nothing, and in that space gives room for things to arise rather than place on the, the, the blackboard or the whiteboard, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's lots of ways that non-dual enlightenment inhibits and can threaten personhood work, not the smallest of which is the fact that they call uh, the self an illusion, uh, which it's yeah. not. Um, yeah. and which can be verified, self-verified that it's not. But, but the tricky part of that is that is exactly what you said. I find that I don't worry one whit at the beginning of any interaction with a facilitant or a read I'm doing on a person. Uh, it's a little different, but the same in this domain. Uh, yeah. Whereas if you're, if you haven't been non to enlightened, you can get a lot of secondary, a facilitator can have a lot of turmoil. What to do next when you've got this whole yeah. raft of options. Yeah. Whereas if you're enlightened, you don't give a shit about all those options, even though they're in you, they're in back here. They're yeah. not in front of you. And I don't have any tension or diarrhea about it. Cause you know, <laughs> the moment, you know, the yes. moment will tell you what to do. The moment yeah. will tell you, but I, I used to pray before uh, when I was doing active EBE way back in the day, I prayed every day that every person would cancel. <laughs> I, was, I was so conflicted uh, and worried about how I would do this when I'd already had my non-dual uh, event and was translating somehow uh, a, a way of facilitating personal eye work that had f really flavors of the dynamical bandwidth of non-dual enlightenment. Yeah. You see? So, uh, it shouldn't be possible. Talking. No, it, which is impossible in this world. So yeah. my solution, oh, I hope they cancel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cancel. Uh, so that's a really good point that you make here. And uh, thanks for letting me weigh in and, and link to that. Uh, mm -hmm. Because it, without that, boy, you're a hell of a lot less concerned and worried about what to do next with people. Yeah, and it, it happens in different waves for me. I still have a part that is in a in total panic like pretty much all the time when working with people that's just like mm. what mm. the hell are you doing he's saying you don't know how to do this i don't know how to do this this what 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 and um i it doesn't take up a whole lot of space and sometimes i'll even like talk to that part um here and there um and it sort of changes it gets louder and softer depending on what's going on with me but mm -hmm. I definitely have experienced that as, as quite loud. And I think, I mean, I don't know. I think in some cases that it, it, it's actually a good thing. It definitely gets my attention and sure. gets me to care. And then if I can't find that mm, obedience to the moment that can uh, yes. juxtapose with that, 
Yes, yes. Then there's a problem, you know, because it's like, because that part's coming from the place, like you said, of like sifting through the giant bag of stuff. <laughs> like, what are we going to pull out? And I can be like, yeah, good luck with that. I'm just going to listen and see what happens. And let's compare in five minutes. <laughs> if you've got an idea, I'm okay with that. But the moment has the answers. Yeah. And I'd like to add another positive dimension to that struggle. And that is only someone with integrity would put themselves through such a, uh, a process mm. based in caring, right? Um, to do their best, have the best in them, to, to, draw, to find the best in them, to serve the best in the, in the client or the facilitant uh, and, yeah. soul, and, soul meant, uh, and soul mentor and, and soul lent, uh, we could say, in our, in our picture of things. So there's a lot of integrity in that struggle, Joseph, to find the best way for yourself and, and well, the... Well, thanks. And I think it's also been, you know, I've been a teacher since I was of one thing or another since I was 15. And I mm -hmm. don't think that was accidental. I, I think if I wasn't teaching, then I would have fallen into laziness a long time ago because yeah. it's like, because I'm, I'm always listening to what's coming out of my mouth and it, it usually applies a lot to me too. And that's yeah. a way I inspire myself. And there are plenty of days where I don't feel like I would have gotten through the day very well at all if I didn't have a few clients that I was supposed to be soulful and heartful and inspiring with. And it's like, well, I have to be. I can't do that for myself. But when someone else is here, I, I feel like I have no choice because I, I can't do a bad job. I just can't. I couldn't no. live with myself. No. And, and well, before before we move on, we've been greatly self-revealing here, uh, but mm -hmm. I don't want to get to uh, what what this whole, the, why the will won't take you where you need to go a little mm -hmm. more. Um, try uh, trying to, uh, Bree and I have been trying against a really strange bandwidth of consciousness inside of a strange bandwidth of consciousness. How do you make a protocol of sorts Oh yeah. Of something that resists protocolization. Uh, do you see uh, these uh, 18 things that we're talking about, the realizations you get in identity, um, uh, all point to certain benchmarks, but to quantify and qualify those benchmarks is insane making Yeah, because every situation is different with every moment, with every person, but there are benchmarks. And we're, as we speak now, we're, we're trying to evolve those uh, intuitively induce them into, to coming to us because if we use our mind to try to dualize them, it won't work. You've got to start with a different basis of consciousness of arisement rather than, um, uh, figuring it out with your head. Yeah. So, and this was like in the 1.0 version of identity, this was being talked about. You got to meet people yeah. where they are and there was right. no cookie cutter approach. Right. Um, there, there was a protocol. It wasn't like, Horrible. It, it, no. It, no, no, it, it wasn't even it wasn't even extremely linear. There was room oh, to go right. in lots of different directions, but there yeah. was a container. Yes. Mm -hmm. Of there was a willfulness container that somehow, uh, for me, I, I can say for sure there was a, a layer of control that was still operating. So sure. when I imagine the protocol now, I'd be like, oh, it's easy. You just have to have a major surrender of control and a emotive level processing of innocent control and then significant progress in sagehood and sainthood. And then you get to open the book. 
that's the protocol. You don't get to learn the protocol until that happens. That would be basically the ideal. And right. So, so anyone who's listening to this and said, and has been contemplating, okay, I'd like to get into this identity personhood stuff. You're, you're hearing, um, and I wish Brie was here in this moment. She'd have a laugh over this too. Uh, uh, well, what the hell do these people really know what they're doing? I no. mean, and what we're saying is this, this is why personhood is not a psychological track in identity. It's a spiritual track. Yeah. It's not something that can be dualistically um, uh, trackable in sequences. Uh, so, so you've got to start with uh, an open moment um, and, and see what arises from your own experience. And so the best way people are saying, well, I want to work with someone. How do I choose? Well, there's five or six or seven of us. So I don't do active personhood work, but all the rest do um, beside me. Uh, and uh, you just have to um, interview us and see which one fits best. And yeah. what intuitively, and, and just to be forewarned, if you do do this and you have a really, oh, not this person, be careful. <laughs> that may be the exact person for you. Yeah, or uh, not. Oh, you got to decide. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't tell you this before, but um, I wrote a couple of articles in the last month or two that I thought um, were, you know, could fit in the public venue in some way. So I submitted. Um, I went went back to my old list of articles. I submitted a couple of things to Psychology Today and a couple of uh -huh. things to The Atlantic. And mm -hmm. I had one of those, it's not the first, second, or fifth time where I got a sense of what it was like to be you. Because I had this one piece and I was like, okay, I could send this to Psychology Today, but there's spirituality in it. And I don't have any letters after my name, like, right. you know, PsyD or PhD. So right. they're not going to listen to me. And then I right. go to like, what is Enlightenment magazine? And it's like, oh, the thing I wrote is too personal for them. Besides, <laughs> I have a different picture of what Enlightenment is. And then like, oh, well, what about like an esoteric uh, devotional thing? Um, uh, no, there's too much personhood and there's too much sagehood in this too. It's like, it doesn't fit anywhere. No. It and, and I had this moment of like madness that I felt was like, oh, this is what Stace was feeling like 30, 40 years ago. Like it, it, it has pieces of everything. And so on the surface, it's like, oh, well, this could fit in lots of places. No, it fits no places because of that. <laughs> because it's psychology never, will reject spirituality really fast. That's too many values. Yes, that's too right. Too many values. Yeah. And spirituality will reject anything personally psychological. I mean, just yes, as essential, the, as essential. Yeah. Right? So it's crazy making. And that this is why, um, when I, why I brought that, uh, that uh, matrix, uh, uh, moment in, because, uh, what do you do with that? When, when I carried that in and tried to begin to integrate it into the world conversation, I had nowhere to go. Yeah. Uh, I had nowhere to go. I got, I got more than three dozen rejections from magazines and, uh, uh, and, uh, and, because you and, offended all of their value systems, and you can't help it. Well, yeah, and remember we talked about already that the first the first book, no such thing as a negative emotion. Uh, I was told by I could have had that published, but yeah. the uh, person said, "Oh no, it was in the '90s. Uh, if you just say this was channeled, that will make a jillion dollars." And I, I couldn't say that. It was inspired, sure. I, I don't 
you know, but channel from a channel entity in the discarnate zone that, that has names and tells you uh, who's talking. I, I couldn't do that. So uh, these, this thank you, I feel felt in that way because each anyone who becomes a leader in this paradigm and we, we Bree and I, uh, I, I made this so patently clear years ago, our true leaders cultivate other leaders, not mm-hmm. followers, right? And so uh, all we can do is hold space for the emergence of leaders and support them in every way we can with just a few provisos. You know, okay, do your own thing here. Um, check in with us if you like. You can certainly consult and ask us questions if you want, but just don't have sex with your facilitants. Yeah, that's rule number don't one. Don't let them stay at your house indiscriminately uh, overnight when they live a couple blocks away. Hmm. Uh, um, um, don't 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 um, uh, cut anyone out because they're not um, uh, easily buying the values of identity. You know, um, really just three things, three provisos. Uh, other than that, it's we trust that the right consciousness demographic will be drawn to the right facilitators uh, in this in this paradigm. And we will be led to serve. We don't seek to serve. We don't advertise. We, all we have is podcasts and a website. Uh, there will be soon a uh, new website uh, out. And that's it. Some people don't even have websites anymore. Their Instagram is their is their yeah, home. Their true. home, you know. Websites yeah. may be coming uh, obsolete here in the next ten years. Who knows? Yeah, could be. Uh, at any rate, uh, thanks for saying that because if you if people hear this, you really can get an up rubber meets the road difficulty of bringing this paradigm or explaining it why you like it to people oh you should listen to this podcast um <laughs> well why why do you like it why what is it what is it what does it call out in you it's not something that's easily um, explainable by the institutional teachings of the world yeah and and that's part of the um the will-based world in which we live we're supposed to be able to just explain everything yes. and all the reasons for why we do what we do and exactly it's, it's, exactly so why why is um why won't will uh, uh, take you to where you need to go? It'll certainly take you where you want to go, um, because because there's one big the biggest meta reason, and well, let's 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 talk about this dimension first. Is that um, since 2012 uh, we know are no longer supported by a yang based divinity for the survival of the species were now opened out. I guess there was a magic number, eight, 8 billion people or 7 billion people. Actually, it was a little over 7 billion back in 2012. Uh, I, I, and I remember thinking that maybe this was the number that some uh, a calculus of spirit decided that there was enough uh, protoplasm, soul-based protoplasm, human protoplasm on the planet to move from survival to thrival. Mm-hmm. Even though a good share of us in the third world and the fourth world, you know, our survival is not assured or, or solid. Yeah. So in that sense, um, since 2012, will or before 2012, will would get you where you wanted to go, and a lot of times where you needed to go, but it won't go to where you need to go now because there's a different there's a different uh, mantra: uh, surrender um, and yin, yin surrender. Uh, as opposed to yang empowerment, and so that changed the gestalt of um, uh, the gestalt of the entire uh, um, uh, uh, holding space that 
human potential growth uh, uh, is cultivated. You, you no longer use your will to go somewhere. You sort of backass your way. It's like a trust fall mm-hmm. into what where where what you want. Uh, how to translate what you want into to find out if what you need it's what you need is by trusting going falling back as a, to an unknown as opposed to having your eyes analyze everything and what's the best route to strategically get to what you want and need so it's an entirely opposite vibe uh, underlying the whole um, manifestation and uh, growth uh, parameters. And this is important because we would predict that the, what I call the self-empowerment paradigms, yes. Landmark, Tony Robbins, NLP, even things like cognitive behavioral therapy that are mm. very much about uh, behavior change and intention-based um, willful manipulation of mind and language and stuff. We would yeah. predict then that these methods, while they had some efficacy, are going to lose it. Would we not? Yes. Yes, um, there's a planned obsolescence in some uh-huh. way. There, it's not that they're 100% inapplicable, but they need a new paradigm to govern the value of any steps uh, or truths inside them. Some of their truths survive, and a lot of them won't survive. So it, it, those paradigms do have a shelf life now in the form that they're in right now. So um, uh, we, we would abide by a lot of psychological mandates that you just don't cross the intimacy line with, with clients, for example. Uh, there's a truth that survives the new yin-based assay, like, uh, you know, the, you, you pan for gold, you know. A lot of the stuff is going to fall out of these self-empowerment um, paradigms, not the least of which is their essential premise that I think, therefore, I am, or I have a body, therefore, I am. In other words, my brain uh, sources consciousness um, uh, uh, or my biggest, my most deepest aspect of being is my ability to cognate uh, instead of emotivate. So those are going to go down. And when essential assumptions about a paradigm go down, then it's a free-for-all. What downline dharma are going to survive well what i'm curious though like do you think there's going to be a like observable experienceable even quantifiable effect of that like so i think of for example uh, landmark education they're really good with tracking and data and they they track results and numbers and um how many people show up for their things and their level of satisfaction are they going to be seeing their numbers go down because their willfulness is going to be less accepted by reality well, it's a great question. Look what has happened when um, talk therapy started to get replaced by meds, mm-hmm. right? People still came, but what was happening in sessions became mitigated by drug use such that a therapist could see 20 people in a day and write a prescription uh, and do very little talk therapy. Uh, um, it's the same thing. The, they, their appointment schedule maybe uh, was stayed the same, but what they're doing uh-huh. in the, uh-huh. that's the one more nuance down, yeah. but quantifiable, I, I, I would expect some, but since the reasons are beyond our, our we could say in the metaphor of water and a, and a, and a fish net trying to pick up water, 
the design of those quantifiable methodologies are trying to pick up something that doesn't really yeah, yeah, yeah. pick up. Well, so I mean, it's either. like, so I, I'm experiencing my will slipping in many ways on an ongoing basis, but I'm consciously and intentionally trying to do that. You know, I'm yeah. so what I'm curious, like if there were a control Joseph, uh-huh. <laughs> pardon the <laughs> word. Joseph, who was not doing EBE, who was just going through his life, would he be experiencing his ability to willfully manifest in decline as well? Yes. Without intentionally trying to do that? Yes. Okay. Because because, That's my opinion anyway, based on the divine yins is rising all cognitive patriarchal boats uh, in one way to see how solvent they are with the next tsunami that's coming over them. In other words... uh, there's a planned obsolescence of an undermining in the yin uh, divinity for exactly those kinds of controls, uh, uh, you know. Yeah, so, in both senses. But in both senses, yes. So it's a really funny time in uh, our historical narrative um, because we're in a changeover and the world really hasn't awakened metaphysically to the causational elements of that changeover. So everyone's going to be looking for explanations. Well, why is why is my clientless uh, abating? Oh well, um, maybe it's getting bled off by uh, internet influencing, TikTok, Instagramic, um, AI uh, um, therapists. You know, mm-hmm. uh, who who knows? Uh, but mainstream psychology will not survive. Uh, in my opinion, for another 30 years. In another mm-hmm. 30 years, it, it will be gone and dis- disseminated into something that wouldn't be called uh, a talk-based psychological perspective anymore. Mm-hmm. So, but again, what will that look like? Oh, I have no idea. I just, I can feel the tide though. Mm-hmm. And the, the tide is some tide, the tide can either float your boat or sink your boat. It depends on how tightly you grip your boat. The tighter you grip your boat, the more likely is it's going to take a sinking to wake you up. Yeah. You well, see? and that made me think of, we talked in the last five episodes somewhere in there, and I've been seeing some regurgitations of it in the world. This, these uh, glimmers, you know, the, glimmers, the, yeah. the opposite, mm-hmm. if you will, of a trigger. And yes. that, that to me is an example of something like, not only has that been around for a while, but it's so... I don't know what the words are. It's like so obviously about just changing your mind and ignoring a a reality. That to me is what the look and feel of the dead ending of willfulness looks like. It's just starts. It starts to feel desperate. Like I'm triggered, and it's like uh, it reminds me of that scene in Idiocracy where the guy gets scared and he just keeps saying, "Brought to you by Carl's Jr. Brought to you by Carl's Jr." He's like (laughs) retreating in the safety of his corporate sponsor. It's like that's what a glimmer is, you know. And it's becoming when things get near their dead end point, they start to just look absurd from the desperation because the underneath it, which is it's sad, really, um, not not funny at all. But the the protector is like nearing the end of their rope and they're getting so desperate that yeah. what they the the it's it's but what they're really doing it becomes um ridiculously transparent yeah just like when trump has there's a recording of it when trump said find me eleven thousand votes it was like yes. okay we knew you were corrupt already 
<laughs> but you actually said to the Georgia state officials, find me 11,000 votes. Why? I mean, like, I thought that only happened in movies, you know, but yes. like there it was. That's how desperate he was. Oh, I love what you're saying here. It reminds me of this fabulous movie, The Big Short. I just um, watched that four days ago. Oh, I watched it. Oh, man. I could go off about that. Yeah, go ahead. Say what you're going to say. Let me say what I want to say, and then you go off however you like. Yeah. What was so um, meta about that movie Mm -hmm. is that inside the venue track of the movie were people who were awakening to the utter absurdity, just like you're speaking to here, um, transparency of it, such that they just... They literally could not believe that people um, uh, 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 talked themselves into these dead-end understandings about um, uh, binding uh, mortgage bonds uh, with a bunch of AAA, uh, um, well-vetted mortgage uh, lending uh, mixed in with Bs and double B uh, versions. Uh, and then uh, pretending that selling them as if they were AAA, and where the people, the couple of heroes in that in that mm-hmm. film, were meta to the whole thing, and took the whole movie for them to actually convince themselves this was actually happening. When everyone said you're crazy, yeah. I felt so uh, seeing that movie. I felt so felt in uh, how exactly for myself in the last 30, 40 years, uh, this picture had the same reaction. Uh, but in the end, uh, the, the the naysayers who saw the truth of the sham yeah. were right. Yep. And they and I, I loved about it. Last point is that they bet short, and then they also realized, and this would blew my mind, that they were part of the problem also. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That they were raping the system. Remember, uh, um, J- uh, Brad Pitt's character says, "Stop dancing, stop sh- sh- none of that shit." You, people are going to be losing pensions and their lifestyles and their yeah. all the yoke in their in their in their retirement egg, you know. Um, and, and and a couple of them in the end, especially uh, the uh, Steve Carroll. Uh, yeah, he didn't want to sell. He was like one of the last positions to sell because uh, as soon as we sell, he said, then we're just like all the other people making money off it, the crisis. Exactly, and that to me. M- made that movie like a Taurus, you know, or, or those, uh, what do they call that thing? Uh, that a goes Mobius the, strip? A Mobius strip. Uh-huh. Because they, the people who saw the problem became part of the problem. Why? Because the whole thing was a sham based in will-based greed. Yep. So that's why I'm, I'm funny. I just that popped in my head, the big short. Uh, so what, what would you want to say about oh, that? Oh man, so many things. I mean, you just, you named one of the ridiculous uh, assumptions of probably six or 10 that all came together to make a mess. But, you know, the, one of the most powerful metaphors in the film for me was when they compared the derivative sleight of hand to, you know, um, it's like multiple people are being able to insure one house, whether they owned it or not. Yes. So, and then when the house burns down, everyone gets to collect who bought insurance on the house, but it didn't, and it doesn't matter whether you own it or not. Like that would never be allowed yes. in the insurance market, but because yes. it was unregulated, um, yes. this was allowed. And that the, 
I mean, that the people who were responsible for making regulation decisions were pretty much also in the industry. I mean, this is the, the, yes. the literally the fox getting to run the hen house. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and yeah, that, all the way up to the that, top to Alan Greenspan, who was you know neck deep in it before he was appointed by many presidents as whatever he is. Well, the, what was the what was the um, the rating uh, agency? Oh the yeah, one? that's another one that Standard rating, and Poor's and Moody's. They were basically well, collecting money to give things good ratings, yes. and and at one point when it was being criticized, the response was not no no that's not true these ratings are accurate. The response like at a congressional level hearing was everybody's doing this. Uh, yeah. They shouldn't pay attention to the ratings. You know, they're just opinions. Like, no, people are making investor decisions based on that. It's like a part of how the market works. Think of how think of a pension manager for a, yeah. a, a, a school district who has to make a decision. Oh, AAA, um, this this is vetted. Uh, this is safe money where we yeah. can put our investment. He's got maybe three hundred or four hundred people's investments, and he's got to make that decision. The woman. Who played? I, I love that actress. Her last name is Leo, I think. Um, the the, the she, Standard & Poor's woman. Yeah, she yeah, said. She awesome. said, "Well, if we don't give them the AAA, they'll walk go down to the street to our competitor." Yeah. And so this was the flaw, the absolute darkness in what a what people trusted as a governmental oversight, which was just a sham. Yeah. And, and when, to, in the biggest meta. If, so, uh, as soon as I finished it, I started over and watched it again. I was just totally transfixed. And then I watched, there's this really good, um, what the hell is it called? Matt Damon um, uh, narrates it. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's a, 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 the same thing. It's like a documentary instead of a dramatization of it, um, mm -hmm. which was also really good. And then there's that other film that's from inside one of the big institutions that uh, has to sell oh, yeah. the position overnight. Oh yeah, what was it? I forget that. But you law too. or whatever that guy is, I forget. Yeah. But that's an that's a, that's that's cool because like the last there's like a ten minute part of the big short where that's happening where they won't adjust the price of the thing because all the big institutions realize that they've got billions in toxic toxic assets and they won't adjust the price until they unload it to someone hapless <laughs> bystander so that they don't take as big a hit. I mean, there it's just it's all. I mean, to me, in the biggest meta of it, it's just a. Um, I almost say microcosm, except it was huge, but it's a microcosm relative to this is what humanity does when there are no rules and whatever's going on at the unconscious level has room to express. There it is. Oh, it's not illegal, but questionably moral. Okay, I'll do it then. You know, like we don't need to, will I make money doing it and it's not illegal? Sure. Fine. We can get no the government to not regulate trillions of dollars uh, yeah. in, in this financial there's, no there's no moral corrective. Yeah. Uh, right. So, well, it's, so, it's will based morality, I guess. Well, that, that, that's exactly the point I want to bring us back mm -hmm. to, having brought up this whole big short stuff. It was, it was a sham big enough to blow a hole in the world economy. Yeah. Um, now, if that it's it's not too much of a stretch from the conversation Joseph and I are having right now, in his question about how will these other paradigms survive? You know, um, they'll all they're all going to gradually or suddenly. Though no, they're all gradual until the moment comes. Then it's suddenly 
implode if they're not based in a yin based uh, if they're not have a foundation of yin surrender discovery curiosity as opposed to what can we get away with <laughs> yes that's what, well. what can we get away with that that is the perfect example as you just said of a worldwide um uh emotively inauthentic planet population yeah and then if you willfully impose rules and regulation then they go okay we'll follow those rules and what can we get away with and what can we get away with (laughs) right so so they're doomed because the foundation of will-based spirit uh spiritual ages uh that was the young uh version of divinity is gone so there's no foundation anymore think of the ocean or think of a, a lake and all of a sudden, holes start to to um, to form in the in the bottom uh, lake bed, and, and the water in the lake starts to go down into the earth. the the the, the lake starts to um, to uh, disappear. That's exactly what's happening. Is uh-huh. the yin will will be undermining the foundation of uh, some uh, uh, institutionalized bandwidth in this culture, uh, inner culture. In a revealing and way, it in a revealing way, not not a war way that destroys it, but in a way that 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 empties it. That's yeah. what Yin would do. So all of them, if we're, I'm either an insane person or fairly crazily insane, sane, crazy sane, that the only paradigm left standing in a hundred years might be identity. Because it is, it includes all the other uh, domains of Earth, but on a different foundation, and uh, and it won't get there because some, all, everybody will go, oh my God, this is amazing. There'll be nowhere else to go to explain the implosions that will be gradually happening, not only in our institutions, but in people's worldviews are going to be eroded. Uh, and, and I hope that there's enough love in the system here. Uh, and if we get out there in the next 10 or 10 years or so, we can catch some of those uh, uh, people who are, who are who the ground is falling away from underneath them. Yeah. Because it's no longer a will-based uh, supported from divinity, yeah. So it's um, it, we're talking both esoterica here and direct rubber meets the road effects, uh, and this is a really interesting podcast today because of yeah. all things that interlace to this topic, isn't it? Yeah, there's so many different things, and the the, the 2008 financial tri- crisis is a great example. And of course, mm-hmm. it was a lot of the same shit that happened in 2000, 2001, artificial mm-hmm. inflation from uh, mm-hmm. investment banks, um, but it's, it drove internet stock prices up. And then in 2007, um, artificially in, in, uh, increased housing prices. And then both of those bubble burst in yin-revealing ways. Oh, yes. what actually yeah. happened? Right. But was there any reform that happened as a result of it? No, not really any to speak of, meaning it has to happen again then. Yeah. And uh, I am also reminded in what you said that the true uh, meaning of the Greek in apocalypse is a revealing. Yes. It's a revealing. Yes. And um, that's what they said would happen when, the, the, when uh, Jesus returned, right? There'd be a great <laughs> revealing. Yes, and that's not right. the end of the world, but the end no. of all the false worlds inside people that are seeing a reality in ways that is not so. Oh, beautifully said. Yes, 
And like you said, I um, just want to uh, reference something that you said there really, um, uh, of courseedly, uh, <laughs> is that is that um, people uh, who oh, I just lost it. Uh, I lost it. Well, there's one more so, thing I, I want to say. Interrupt me when it comes yeah, back. Go ahead, then. Maybe I can the, retrieve um, it. Because it, it, when you said, of course, uh, it reminded me of there's some basic assumptions that we haven't said out loud that I know is in the back of both Stace and I's minds about the uh, 2008 financial crisis. They're dead-ending yeah. assumptions. And th- yeah. th- th- that that's not talked about because that would be the basis of an effective reform. Yes. The dead ending of that you can squeeze six cents out of every nickel that that yeah. will one even upstream of that, that you should get as much money as you possibly can. That yes. was that's an assumption on Wall Street. With, with the least effort. With the least effort, yes. Probably the most, ba- no, even more basic than that, upstream of that, is that money can fill the hole that all those people are feeling inside themselves emotively because it's a substitute for love. And that's yes. why they, you know, are willing to work 80 hours a week and do immoral, crazy things with cocaine and prostitutes and, you know, crazy yeah. stuff that they do. See Wolf on Wall Street, the Wolf of Wall Street, um, for yes. more on that. But that whole culture is driven by money yes. will make us feel good. Yes. Therefore, um, whatever we got to do to maximize that and minimize effort is okay. And yes. um, there's no such thing as morality. We just have to follow the rules, and even that's a question. Yes. Um, and then, and so on, and so on, and so on. So all, all of what happened in the last couple of years leading up to 2008 was just the natural, inevitable outcome of those assumptions. Yes. But because in our society, we can't think paradigmatically, Nobody's looking at, whoa, not only what reforms need to be made in terms of of jurisdiction and, and regulation, but what are the uh, paradigmatic assumptions, the social, religious, um, spiritual even, like, let, let's have a conversation about this. Yes. And like, how does it feel, Mr. B of A, um, you know, executive in the congressional hearing that uh, six million people lost their homes and in the same year you took home a $75 million bonus? Like, how do you make that work? What's the yeah. venue for us as a society to talk about that? Yeah. We don't have well, that. Now you're, talk- now you're talking <laughs> philosophically here. Let's stay, let's keep our feet on earth here now. Yeah, I'll tell you what. Yeah, I'll, but oh. let me make it less philosophical for you. You give me that $70 million and I'll give it to a charity. And then you see if it still seems philosophical to you. It's very real. <laughs> well, and what you speak of, Joseph, um, some, once in a while after I resaw Big, Shot, uh, Big Short, um, what can keep me up at night is there was no solution at the end of the thing, that's right. The oh. the, uh, the taxpayers got the extra cent out of a nickel. Uh, all the all it was a bailout because they were too big to fail. So the investment, mm-hmm. some investment bankers, the banks fell fell by the wayside, but others consolidated. And one person from Switzerland, I believe, went yes. to jail yeah. for all that. Um, what what keeps me awake at night is. There was no solution to the whole thing based on reassigning the assumptions that caused all the downline shit. So it's going to happen again. It it has to because yep. uh, what what was so disconcerting for me is um, like a lot of people, you know, I was so happy with Obama uh, winning uh, at that time, but on his watch, he actually put people in regulatory spots that were part of the sham yeah because he he didn't know how to 
operate other than here's what it is, here's what we have to do to survive, and I got to do the what's best for the country. But no assumptions were 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 confronted. Right. Which means since the taxpayers, we bailed out these millionaires. We did with doubling the national debt because that was allowed. It's it's still teetering on a yeah. foundation of sham and not reality. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how many how how many how many pieces of pie can you get out of one pie? Well, they got to be smaller and smaller and smaller. But there's a, a finite number yeah. of how much you can raid the pie for your piece of it. So yeah. I don't understand. I'm not a financial expert, but I, I don't understand how people can delude themselves this well, way. Well, and it goes in one way all the way back to the willfulness of the American dream, right? That yeah, if you work right. hard and make the right decisions, you can have all the money in the world. There's no limit to it. That's right. And so we're dead ending that. I mean, the Declaration of Independence was a willful document. It was rebellion against a king. So yes. there was will in that. It's just fascinating to me how it's, you know, the documentary on the Matt Damon um, narrated one on YouTube actually starts the story of the 2008 crisis with the Icelandic government in, I don't know, around 2000, 2001. Uh, and, um, and then comes, yeah, it's really fascinating. And it, and it just made me think like, where do you start the story yes, when we're talking yeah. about dead ending a screwed yeah. up assumption about money? I don't yeah. know. You could start with the Lydians who invented coins in 7,000 <laughs> BC or whatever, probably like, right. because in, in Iceland, like the, they were paying people in, um, New York to write, uh, positive reviews, like as much as $40,000 to write positive re reviews about their economy. And Iceland deregulated their banking industry. And the three banks that they had that were like highly regulated suddenly were like leveraged like 800 to one and oh, were taking billion dollar loans and created basically the same culture that existed in Wall Street not long after that. Wow. So it, it started well, there in one way. It's, it's so nutty. Let's um, uh, we've done a brilliant job of cursing the darkness. Let's, okay, light, a, yes. let's light a candle. That's a um, responsible thing to do. Um, and what and it will key off of something that you said about 20 minutes ago, and that is what's the solution to changing a will first world? Paradoxically, but not, we have to will our way to losing will. And I want to just speak to this for a moment uh -huh. because this is jujitsu. It's not karate. Uh, it's um, it's a, Aikido it, is a better metaphor. Jujitsu can Aikido. be pretty willful. You're, Depends you're on right, the form. You're right. But it's like um, you have to press in a screw on the wall to release it. Yeah. Right. Same same principle here. We have to use will to unplug will. How is how is that a san, a sane dynamic, and how how would we go about doing that? Well, it becomes actually quite easy if you start with love. Love uses will to unplug will's priority. Love does that. The capacity that's meta to will has space to do operations on will, whereas when will is primary, there's no space 
Where's the space to question the mechanisms of will or what you do with it? There's no, like you said earlier, there's no more morality goes out the window. It's just will, will, will for the best outcome. So lo a love-based start, a spirit-based start um, is what allows us to use will to serve love as opposed to use will to serve will. Yeah. The to, so to use will to serve love means love is more primary than will. And love can start that conversation, but in the end we unplug will from love and then we trust. That's the thing. When you unplug will, as you say, you've been losing will uh, earlier, when you unplug will, you have chaos at first. Uh -huh. you, you don't have any benchmark to, um, to uh, uh, validate any opinion. You have mm -hmm. no benchmark. You, if you let, if you unplug will first and go from love, you're in a trust fall, and you've got to actually learn to bear the chaos of unplugging will first. Identity steps in and automatically gives you the way to do that by grounding your will in how you really feel. Not how you would prefer to feel, not how you don't want to or want to feel, but what you actually, what is going on in the unconscious emotive zone. That will allow you, by basing it there, all emotion is some form of love. That's where right. we get that. There's no such thing that emotion is primary because love is primary because divine being is primary and we're all inside of divine being as source. Uh, so, so emotion, raw, real emotionality gives you the ability to navigate the unplugging of will first. And that is a radical, radical um, uh, offering that will allow a, 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 a sort of a, a slope to gradually learn what it means moment to moment to unplug a will first uh, um, basis for your own personal world. Where does it leave you? For, well, you better start sensing things mm -hmm. as opposed to deciding things with will and, and justifying them cognitively. you mm -hmm. got to start here, uh, below. Will. Fourth chakra is here. Fifth chakra is will. As, it, as, as, as the um, uh, prana moves upward in that one direction anyway, will is supposed to inform, or love is supposed to inform will, which is supposed to inform mentation. Mm -hmm. uh, all based in will, uh, and, and all based in heart, sorry. And, and that necessitates a change in third chakra, which is personal power. Personal power no longer becomes will-based. Personal power is benchmarked with emotive rawness and emotive uh, authenticity. So there are things going on now uh, in the etheric version of Earth, uh, preparing people for shifts in third chakra, the basis of personal power to move from will as its actuator to love as its actuation. So in this sense, uh, for all the dead-ending doomsdayism that we've accurately uh, confronted in this podcast, identity offers a very challenging solution that uh, first requires we diagnose the problem. Yeah. What Joseph has done so beautifully in this podcast is so beautifully articulate that the problem hasn't been confronted. Yes. Uh, and, and it's beautifully illustrated by the, in the financial world because yeah. that's the most will-based 
uh, um, uh, can't solve a problem you haven't accurately identified. It's one of the most important first principles. Exactly right. And, and identity offers a, a very sober way of going about that, even though it's radically alien to most people's conditioning. Yeah. So what we say so often, Joseph, don't we? We've all been malconditioned by a will first world. I think therefore I am. I have a body brain before I am, blah, blah, blah. That's malconditioning. Uh, even though it got us out of the dark ages. Thank you, um, Descartes. Uh, but now that has run its course. It's obsolete now. Now it's we feel, therefore we are. And that requires a whole sea change just as significant as the industrial age came and technological ages came out of the dark age, saying no to the dark age. I am sin, therefore I am. Or I am nothing, therefore I am. Blah, blah, blah. blah. So the significant, we're in a paradigm shift change equivalent to the movement from dark ages to what we call the dim age, which is the current age, if I think therefore I am, it's much brighter than the dark one, but the luminous age to come is based in soul-based uh, emotivity. Wait, what was the dark age assumption? Um, uh, 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 I, I am unworthy before God, therefore ah, I am worthy yeah. for God, or I am, I am nothing, therefore I am not, the east and the west, Western, east, yeah. that way. And tribalistic collectivism. Uh, I I am uh, I am a collective entity before I'm an individual. I am some kind of a well, yeah. The infancy is very basic anti-self, and then Absolutely. the beginning self-interest right. is entirely mind and will-based. And yeah. now we're talking about an emotive-based self-interest. Exactly. I got validated at the start of Descartes' uh, um, uh, seminal change. Now the I has to find its healthy version. Yeah. Uh, and that can happen. And then I think, therefore, I am paradigm that we're currently in, the dim age. Brighter than the dark age, but not as light as when we're down yeah, to Fascinatingly, emotion. I don't remember any Renaissance philosophers talking about maturity. I really don't. And I read a lot of them. <laughs> they, they just talk about the eye. The eye. The eye is really important. Yes. And then yeah. like 500 years later, Let's talk about which eye and what a mature yes. eye looks like. Oh, yeah, I guess that would that's, be important. That's in the, in the basic, most basic nutshell way. That's what identity is offering. How to make the real eye uh, the most emoto soulfully authentic version that it is. That's that's our our paradigmatic doorway to the luminous age, and after that when maybe 60% of the world is living by the way we have the radiant age where, where there's a renaissance of a spirit becoming patent to our everyday lives. So maybe that's in the radiant ages when divine being finally becomes a booming uh, voice in the sky uh, to, to, uh, or yell so loud on the inner planes that it starts coming out through all of us. That's the radiant age. Sounds like uh, earth as heaven. I heard that phrase somewhere. <laughs> so oh, will is willfulness. Uh, it won't get you what you need anymore. It will only get you what you want, and that want is crumbling as we speak if it's not based on a emoto soulful authenticity. One question I had um, when we were talking about uh, using will, not against will, but uh, to sort of reorder, resequence love yes. and will in personhood. Mm -hmm. Is sagehood using the mind to 
to resequence mind first? Is that the analog there? It's it's removing the will from mind. I think you've said about sagehood. Well, yeah. Since original sagehood says the mind artificially creates the eye. Yeah. Traditional so, sagehood. Yeah, I'm talking about identity life. sagehood though. Too. Identity sagehood is exactly what you said. Say that phrase again. You unplug mind to reset mind. Uh right. So you unplug the mind from will because it's yes. mental body and soulment, right? Yes, exactly. Mental so that's body and soulment. Taking the mind, it's basing the mind in heart yes. rather than in will first. Exactly. And that changes the gestaltic um uh, um uh, uh, the gestalt of the eye altogether, because yeah. it, we, we in, in identity sagehood, um, the eye will return as more real. It only subtracts the over attachments or under attachments to it. Uh, uh, both sides, both sides. So what's the personhood analog though? It's like, so if in sagehood, you're taking the, uh, will out of the mind, are you taking the will out of the heart? In personhood, out of the emotional body, yes, you're you're differentiating uh -huh. will from our emoto soulful authenticity oh, right. at the emotional body because in sagehood it's the mental body yes. exactly, and it's the emotional body in in personhood. So you're removing so you're the inappropriate will, which is yes. green, our protector, out of right. the emotional body, and then yeah. pulling the will out of um, uh, the mind inappropriately in sagehood. And right. that's what Nothing results did. in the re removing the need to be a noun. It's more sort yes. of existential structural exactly. and not about exactly. how you feel. And then sainthood right. to complete it. That's don't yeah. tell me. What are we remo we're, we're removing um, absolutism, which is will based. Uh -huh. See, because all religions to every one of them is based on only we have the truth and you don't. Every religion, every religion has that, um, including Buddhism. Uh, yeah. So it yeah. can't it can't get off the hook and say we're not a paradigm because yeah. it holds its truths absolutely. No negotiation. You know, try try arguing with Gangaji about the reality of the eye. You know, it's just impossible. Um, so in that sense, we're removing um, absolutism, which is a downlying um, bastard child of willfulness. It's the ultimate willfulness is absolutism, right? Non-negotiable pedagoguery. That is what we're taking out of and rebasing spirituality in a yin-based love God, not a God to fear, not a God who has pet races or justifies killing the infidels. Right, it takes one side of the battlefield and not the other. But what's the structural thing? So if it's personhood is removing, I just am being a metaphysical nerd right now, Personhood is removing the will from the emotional body, right. um, and then sagehood is removing the will from the mental body. What's yes. the analog in sainthood? Removing the will from what? Uh, removing the will, uh, a wounded will. Yeah, wounded will. From the soul. From the soul. Oh, right. Because, yeah, I was trying to get the sense of, it has to do yeah. with like an existential way of relating to reality. That's the soul. Ex yeah. Exactly right. Yeah. Uh, spirit uh, goes to source, uh, spirituality uh, and sainthood. And so we're removing um, the, uh, uh, um, the willful kind of based absolutism that um, what you just said, say it again, um, what you just got. 
is removing the oh the existential structural relationship to reality that's the soul and the divine removing the will the wounded will from that toxic will from soul oh and that's where the absolutism comes from because the wounded will relates to an absolutist god yes yes Uh a god that um well, we could. That's a whole other topic, which we'll get to. I'm sure we're taking apart uh, the metaphysics of religion in a more direct way, uh, yeah. existentially. So, in this way, uh, will is the the culprit. Yeah, toxic will is the culp- culprit in a in a will first world that's created the religions, which has created the atheistic secularism and humanism, and which creates a downline of behaviors that justify. Uh, dishonesty and immorality in our dealings with each other. Mm. So, wow, uh, we cover the whole gamut here and have a dharma for each one of those personhood, sagehood, and sainthoods that differs from the psychological and personhood, the traditional sagehood, and the traditional religious sainthood. We we rebrace all three of those main dynamical aspects of reality with different dharmas. Yeah, and so the good news is you really in one way only have one problem, uh, humanity, and that is a wounded will. And um, if you feel that uh, this is an imposition you can't deal with and feel like it's happening to you for no reason whatsoever, even though you're a good person, again, that phone number for the victimhood hotline is 512-666-7475. Masterful closure. I, I couldn't do it with a straight face. Though. <laughs> oh we want to thank God. our sponsor. They're, they, they, they really do want to help if you feel like all of this is happening to you and you didn't choose to incarnate here and deal with toxic will. Call that hotline and one of our willful um, uh, toxic willfulness victimhood mitigators will help you with that. The first five minutes is free. And then... <laughs> After that, if you still don't get it, it's going to cost you just three bucks a minute. But like the redemption of your own soul, we think is worth it. Yeah. Oh my God! <laughs> I, I, if I don't say this at the very end here, um, I'm I, uh, I, I, I something will be unsaid. I'll, I'll get um, uh, gas or something if I don't say this. Uh, toxic will completely blocks curiosity Mm. and so uh, when the toxic will is removed from all three hoods you become eternally curious about how human life is not something that happens to us but happens for us Mm -hmm. and that's the end game here in uh healing away toxic willfulness in all three hoods Mm -hmm. yeah gotta gotta bring in that curiosity word yeah. Uh, that's Bree's rebaking uh, of the existential foundations, uh, which I never used that word before. Uh, so di- directly as Bree uh, sees its importance. Would so. you put, is care upstream of curiosity or is it the other way around? Um, I would, it's a good question. I would have to say upstream because care is downstream of love. Right. That's what I was thinking. Curiosity is a play out of caring. Yeah. I would. So you say love, essence, care, uh, what's the one in the middle? Form. Form. And then expression, curiosity. Curiosity. Uh, Love, caring is the form, 
curiosity is the expression. Mm -hmm. Because once you you rid toxic will out of your system, you've healed it away to some two-thirds degree, curiosity has its own fountain of energy to Mm -hmm. fill in the spaces that you lost that were confined by a toxic willfulness. And that curiosity is what makes everyone humble and makes it impossible to be a fascist or an absolutist. Uh, if I, if some one, if one if person asked me what, give me one word that is the problem of um, uh, in the world that causes all the problems, it's absolutism, mm-hmm. our inability to negotiate reality. Yeah, uh, it's got to be our way, our way, our way, which snuffs out curiosity. Yeah. So yes, um, I had to add. Uh, you, cl- I had to ruin your perfect closure. Uh, oh there. no, I think that was a, a great point. Of- <laughs> I, I, def- I don't know if we want to end on one of my fake sponsorship ones. Anyway, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just practicing <laughs> in real time. Oh, oh Joseph. Okay. All right. Yeah. I think that's today's. Huh? Is that yeah, right? I think that's great. Thank you, Stays. Thank you, listeners. Um, the next one, I don't think I teased it appropriately last time. What is our next? realization that you have a uh, no that you are um uh that you have that things are not our concepts of them yes things are not our concepts of them. yeah yes. so we haven't gone into sagehood land for a while um so yes, that's what that will be next yeah. time then. i did i the order that i wrote this in wrote me so it's taking us both on a journey and now apparently it's time <laughs> to turn into sagehood okay <laughs> Cool. Yes. Oh, I like that. I'll be, oh, I'll enjoy that. I don't often get a chance to hold forth in that domain. So yeah, yeah. yeah. It, the sagehood is the ultimate palate cleanser. You know, it's like it sort of re- resets everything. <laughs> yes. And you can start the next moment totally anew. So, Absolutely right. The, what we call affectionately the scorched earth effect. Yes. Right. right. It's, it's scorched earth. But uh, it's like people who like burning their marshmallows all the way down with a cigarette lighter on a fork like my mother used to do. It's like, it's a scorched earth that's tasty somehow. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yes. In, in real sagehood, yes, it is. Yeah. winds up being tasty. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Stace. Thank you, all listeners. Right. See you next time. Hear you next time. Uh, if you've got questions, you know how to reach us. And we wish you well on your journey. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time, we wish you well on your journey.